15 of this podcast and this time we'll be discussing a very interesting topic about financial inclusion in our present digital economy. For today's podcast episode, we have invited Mr. Kanan Swaminathan seasoned banker who have worked with large financial institutions like Royal Bank of Scotland, ABN Amber Bank, Standard Chartered Bank, among others, and presently the Chief Executive at Whitebridge Consulting LLP based in Chennai, India, and he will be sharing with us his valuable insights regarding the Anbank and the Underbank. So let's get started. Thank you for listening to Fin Circle and welcome to our podcast. Financial inclusion is on the rise globally. The 2017 Global Findex database shows that 1.2 billion adults have obtained an account since 2011, including 515 million since 2014. Between 2014 and 2017, the share of adults who have an account with a financial institution or through a mobile money service rose globally from 62% to 69%. In developing economies, the share rose from 54% to 63%. Yet, women in developing economies remain 9 percentage points less likely than men to have a bank account. 
This particular database points to advances in digital technology that are key to achieving the World Bank goal of universal financial access by 2020. Not surprisingly, demand for financial services is high among the poor, who often turn to informal channels when access to formal ones is not available. In collaboration with the World Bank's Consultative Group to Assist the Poor or CGAP and the GSM Association or GSMA Trade Group, there were some surveys conducted on 147 emerging markets as well as the consumers in the Philippines to better understand the needs of this vast segment. Nearly 90% of the people that has been surveyed store money at home or with a friend or in a village savings club. Some buy assets such as cows or chickens as a store of value. Nearly 60% of the people that has been surveyed in the Philippines keep some form of savings. These savings are typically used for managing cash flow rather than for long-term asset accumulation. The annual turnover can be many times the average balance. In India, for instance, about 20% of the unbanked population have access to credit, but 60% of the borrowing is done through money lenders. In the Philippines, about 13% of the unbanked borrow, while 55% from family or friends, and 13% from moneyland, and 17% from MFIs. Credit is becoming increasingly available through formal channels. In the past decade, MFIs have tremendous success reaching poor individuals in many markets, in particular Latin America and Southeast Asia. The number of microcredit borrowers served by MFIs increased by a factor of 10 from 1997 to 2006, totaling 130 million individuals. In 2005, the World Savings Bank Institute identified up to 1.4 billion client accounts of all types at double bottom line institutions, including MFIs, Boston Savings Bank, and other public purpose institutions in developing and transition economies and third-generation microcredit players often run for profit, break even faster and more predictably than ever before. Well-managed commercial providers in Latin America and India are achieving sustainable returns in addition to social impact by serving this segment and the gains made by individuals and private enterprises will accrue to society as a whole.
enabling overall improvements to quality of life and potentially spurring economic growth. Distribution is a significant challenge, particularly because many currently unserved people lived in areas that are not covered by traditional financial service institutions. In emerging markets, formal banking extends to only about 37% of the population, and this translates into only one bank branch and one ATM for every 10,000 inhabitants. The average is misleading as the majority of the infrastructure is concentrated in urban areas. Reaching rural areas can be complicated in some situations. For example, if communications infrastructure is poor and roads are treacherous, then cash handling or ATM installation and operation become significant and costly challenges. As a result, institutions are often unable to locate ATMs, not to mention branches, in these areas. So, the path to full financial inclusion is increasingly well understood. And the outlook is very encouraging at this point in time. Although the barriers to progress are significant, past efforts have laid the foundation for future success. And innovation is one important element in this particular initiative. Forward-looking organizations are developing and scaling new business models that uh, deliver more value at significantly lower cost, increasing the potential to achieve both beneficial social impact and economic sustainability. Therefore, we can realize that success is uh, pretty much dependent on the active participation of organizations across the private, public, and social sectors. And these organizations have as much to gain as to give, including, uh, most importantly, helping this particular 2.5 billion individuals increase their economic self-determination by gaining access and effectively use a range of quality and affordable financial services. So in summary, these are all initiatives that is already been undertaken and certainly feasible for as long as we all collaborate and cooperate to be able to give this wonderful opportunity to almost everyone in our community. In today's podcast episode, 
We'll be talking to Mr. Kanan Swaminathan, a banking veteran who have worked with Royal Bank of Scotland, ABN Amber Bank, Standard Chartered Bank, and currently the Chief Executive at Whitebridge Consulting LLP, based in Chennai, India. And he will be sharing with us his views and perspective regarding the current state of financial inclusion in today's digital economy. It's great to have you, Canon, and welcome to Fin Circle. Let's probably start by defining on what is financial inclusion and its significant importance in our present digital economy. Edgar, for inviting me to be part of this conversation. Financial inclusion is all about making the banking facilities available for everyone who needs it. Yeah. It's all about creating an equal opportunity for everyone to have access to the right kind of financial services and products for their needs. Financial inclusion that individuals and businesses have access to useful and affordable financial products and services to meet their needs, whether it's transactions, payments, savings, credit or insurance, delivered in a responsible and a sustained way. So in all these, having a basic access to a transaction account is a starting point towards a broader financial inclusion because a transaction account allows people to store money, send and receive payments. A transaction account serves as a gateway to other financial services, which is why ensuring that people worldwide can have access to a transaction account is the focus of World Bank Group's Universal Financial Access 2020 initiative. Gone are the days when the access to this financial world through brick and mortar kind of a setup, a physical bank branch. I can think of nationalized banks in the context of India, cooperative banks, local area banks were fulfilling this need to some extent in the past. With the advent of technology and improvements in the telecommunication network, the digitization provides a fantastic platform to enable this access to financial services to even people who are really remotely situated. So it is not even just a social cause. It's not something which is a good to have to provide this access. It is also making a huge economic sense in developing business models, products and services which can provide this last mile access thereby bringing the transactions, bringing the needs of those people who are elsewhile not having access to a formal system of financial services into a proper systematic world of banks and financial services. This will do a lot of good. It can generate employment, it can create business volumes, it can have uh, avenues for generating credit business and needless to say, it can also mop up a lot of transactional transaction volumes for these institutions. What are the challenges and opportunities that we see on the economies of the world with regards to financial inclusion is concerned? There was a wonderful article in Technology HQ. Uh, 
it addresses exactly whatever you are asking for. The big challenges according to that article in terms of financial inclusion is that the fundamental challenge is, is about financial literacy. It is all about educating the world population about the use and the need of formal financial services, having a banking account or using a technology or using the remittance facilities or you know, taking an insurance or the availability of credit and so on and so forth. So it's all about bringing that education about how do you really deal with money, the financial literacy part. That's the fundamental challenge that the world is dealing with. And the second big challenge is the identity documents for people. One of the key factors which prevent the unbanked from getting access to basic banking service is the lack of formal identification documents. Yeah, You must be wondering as to, you know, these days it's quite common. Every country has an identity card or passport and all of those documents. So why is this becoming a big challenge? In most countries, especially which are lagging behind the financial inclusion, a proper ID is still a long way to go and it is a mandatory requirement for an individual to open a bank account to fulfill the key know your customer requirements so ids are also required to claim social benefits so in order to improve the access to banking services for the unbanked the authorities need to simplify and streamline the process of obtaining a formal id card so i can recollect a um, huge project that India undertook in the last decade. It's all about rolling out a national identity which is called the Aadhaar card and Aadhaar number which is solving the identity issue of the population and it was a massive project. It is about collecting the data of people, storing the data of people and providing them with a unique number and an identity card which serves as an access to wherever they need an identity document within the country. So like this, most developed countries have already got a system to do this. But some of the developing nations are still some way to go. And even the knowledge about the need for an identity document is also to be expanded. So once you have a proper ID, when you have a fundamental basic knowledge about finance, then using a financial system for your transactions or approaching a bank would become far more a reality. Very highly emerging challenge is all about this consumer protection. Okay, So when we are speaking about consumer protection these days of mobile penetration using the app or you know digital transactions, virtual currencies, in all those, there is still a long way to go in terms of developing a trust by the people on these systems to be comfortable in using them. Even among the education, educated population in some of the developed countries, I have come across people who are shying away from you know, using these internet as a medium or a mobile app as a medium. So that trust on the system that it is going to work and my transactions are protected and my interests are taken care 
that need to get developed for a successful penetration of these new technologies and business models for them to be reaching out to the people who really need it challenge is all about the rich and poor kind of a inequality that exist and the gender inequality both these inequalities are showing up in a way that financial inclusion is penetrated across the globe as per the findex the financial inclusion index data approximately 1.1 billion of the 2 billion unbanked individuals around the world are women yeah so there is still a huge gender gender disparity that's happening so in developing countries the rural poor and women in general face a unique obstacle when trying to access financial services there are various researches that are conducted by the world bank and various other agencies like ifc so it is all about creating the need so the even the poor even if i don't have enough money to save can i still have my little thrift kind of an account running in a bank or when i need that extra 1000 rupees 2000 rupees for meeting my expenses to meet my emergencies if i have an access to a formal financial system will my life be any better once that awareness picks up the inclusion will start happening automatically and again you know having an account for every individual is the way to go because these days people are employed some form or other and there are lot of government related payments also coming through when the governments determine that g2p the government to people kind of payment are routed through a direct bank transfer the dbt methodology a bank account is becoming more or less like a mandatory requirement so being a woman do i really need a bank account in a, when i am living in a rural area and i am not in a very rich family my husband having an account or my father having an account so that kind of a thinking need to really change that you know it is like having one of the basic needs of you fulfilled by by being aware of what financial products i can avail and having the necessary documents to avail that the number 5 in terms of challenges is all about using the account for transaction purpose okay and especially in a developing world while there has been a lot of initiatives taken by many countries including india say for that matter in in the pradhan mantri jan dhan yojana which is a massive campaign held by the government of india to open accounts for as many people as possible of of those who did not otherwise had an access to a formal financial system was a huge success so many millions of accounts got opened under that campaign so it is it is all about you know having an account is great but what do you do after that so both the environment the regulation and their own knowledge in terms of usage of these account need to go up little more 
in order for that account to emerge as a transaction account. When I start using that account to receive every money that I need to receive, when I start using that account to pay every money that I need to pay, when I'm getting comfortable with the kind of technology that I'm using, and when it is economical, when the banks are not going to charge me hugely for not for, for using that account, then there is an indirect incentive to start using the account for transaction purpose. So that requires a very constant push. Promoting the use of accounts for transactional purpose will is, is, is the last big challenge that I'm, I'm sensing. Yeah. There are a lot of organizations which are working on these subjects and uh, in, in the financial inclusion itself is, is a huge area where there are plenty of opportunities. You know, when I say the opportunities, friend, if, 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 if I tell you the, the size of this opportunity is by 2025, this is about, uh, uh, this is from a research conducted by the Asian Development Bank. And in one of their research papers, they are indicating that by 2025, a widespread use of digital finance can provide access to financial services for 1.6 billion people. Remember, the figures that are quoted here are purely for Asia. Increase the volume of loans by 2.1 trillion and increase of deposits by 4.2 trillion and generate 95 million new jobs across all sectors. So this is the scope, okay? And they are referring this to from uh, another research that was conducted by the McKinsey in, grow in emerging economies. So more than it being a social cost, financial inclusion is also a, a huge business opportunity. How do we measure the initiatives being done by the banks and regulators in relation to financial inclusion? And what are the methodologies being considered to mitigate this particular circumstance? Great question. Like in anything around us, measuring is measurement is always important and measurement is also the most difficult one, especially in the world of uh, financial inclusion. So let me go step by step. One of the basic measures that I have seen which is working really well is about the number of branches, number of ATMs, both measured as a percentage of population. So the number of bank branches by, a, by million people, number of ATMs per million people, that kind of a measurement. Second important measurement is the bank credit and bank deposit as a percentage of GDP you know, to what extent it is penetrated and what is the scope for it to grow further. So, a lot of central banks around the world collect this information, measure various things, you know, which is appropriate for their respective countries. And globally, if you really look at it, the financial inclusion index is, is a set of huge amounts of data that are being collected and are being analyzed and are being measured uh, in, in to, to see the progress that's made in financial inclusion. The FINDEX data as, as they call it as. 
uh, another area of measurement that uh, is popularly there and uh, is more meaningful in a way that I've come across is uh, Maya declaration. Yeah. So over the last decade, the Maya declaration is is has come together. It is a group of regulators and governments and institutions coming together and assuming a certain target for what they really want to do in order to expand this financial inclusion in their respective geographies and voluntarily come up with initiatives that they would take. The progress that are made against those initiatives, the status of those goals and that's being published periodically. Okay. Some of these data that I'm talking about has a lag. So for example, you might find 2017-2015 data more popularly, but some of these data is even published annually. Say for example, Maya Declaration has a report which is as of 2020, right? which looks at each of the country and in relation to the financial inclusion, what are the quantitative targets that they have assumed? what sort of initiatives that they would take and how are they really progressing against the commitments that are made by them. So I would point Maya Declaration document as, as, as one recent source that you can refer to to get a glimpse of where is the world, which country is doing well and which country is uh, taking what kind of initiatives. We have heard the term unbank and underbank a number of times. But what does this really mean from an economic perspective? Wonderful question. Unbanked, as the term suggests, is indicating the number of households who don't have an account. Basically, they are not familiar with the formal financial system and are not availing anything meaningful that is useful for them from the formal financial system. According to the fin Global Findex database in 2017, it, it really means to have a, a level of educational attainment in order to overcome this particular challenge. So as the report says, unbanked adults are more likely to have low educational attainment. In the developing world, about half of all adults have a primary education or less. Among the unbanked adults, share is close to two-thirds. Slightly more than a third of unbanked have completed high school or post-secondary education. Those active in labor force are less likely to be unbanked. Well, about 37% of all adults in developing world are out of the labor force. 47% of unbanked adults are. Among the unbanked, women are more likely than men to be out of the labor force. So the report goes into various depths across countries to nail the gravity of this particular problem. So you'll be surprised, even in very developed countries like United States, there is still a share of households who don't have a bank account. Coming to underbanked, 
underbank actually stands for someone who has access to the financial services proper financial services world however they do rely on their own sources no in the in the sense they don't rely completely on a formal financial services system or a bank to carry out their transactions they do rely on a variety of indigenous sources to fulfill their need and again this percentage of people who have a bank account but rely mostly on other channels is much more significant than the first case of unbanked population yeah why so it's in my opinion it is primarily got to do with the awareness of what to do with financial services and having a trust in the system and also got to do with a little bit more on the speed of innovation that's taking place to touch them in their life to make their daily transactions far more conducive for them to really rely on a formal financial services when i say financial services it is lot more than just having a bank account or using the bank for saving the money it's about how do they really come up the curve in using the latest products like every other part of the world who really use it say a debit card or a credit card or using an electronic means to transfer money from one person to another person access to some form of insurance awareness about when they really need an insurance access to forms of savings and finally access to even for some form of credit when they really need it right especially in the in in terms of credit there has been a lot of initiatives that i have known in some parts of uh, the world especially in countries like india and uh, some other asian countries where the microfinance as a movement has really tried bridging this last mile gap so when you start lending to the small and uh, you know medium sized borrowers through innovative and very convenient form of funding they do get an access to this may not be from a mainstream bank there are a lot of microfinance institutions which take care of this and sometimes even some of these uh, joint liability groups jlgs as as a formation out of this self help groups have also had some element of borrowing for their needs getting access to through somebody some player in the financial services world what is the economic imperative so the more and more you touch the underbanked people you are trying to move away into a more digitalization of finance you know more automation and more technology thereby the transaction volumes tend to go up 
thereby the usage of financial products by this section of society likely to increase your base so it is also a business volume game that's the economic imperative what is the most common misconception about financial inclusion the 2016 brookings financial and digital inclusion project report is a very good read i would recommend here so it's a very comprehensive report which touches country by country on various dimensions and the most common dimensions or most standardized com- uh, dimensions here are the country commitment the mobile capacity the regulatory environment and adoption and they reach out to a overall score based on all these four dimensions the report has got wealth of data and uh, the top 3 misconceptions about financial inclusions that need to be understood are the first one being the most dynamic region in the world asia has the least number of people who are financially excluded or unbanked this is one of the myth the fact is that more than 1 billion of people who don't have a for, for formal access to financial services live in asia the second myth is all about people who have bank accounts use financial products and services pretty often yeah. this is again not true one of the data suggest that uh, 62 if 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 for example globally 62% of people have got access to bank account ownership only 27% of them really use it for saving money only 18% of them receive wages or pay bills through this channel and only 11% of the people who borrow from formal sources and at third misconception there are more women who own bank account than men again this is not fully accurate globally only 58% of women have a bank account compared to 65% of men and on a regional basis the gender gap in account ownership is few country exceptions to this like for example philippines so the asian development ha- bank has also published a variety of research papers on this subject which makes a very good read yeah has tons of data country by country region by region on some of these nuances that i just touched upon Mobile financial services are thriving for most regions and new business models are also being introduced for e-commerce and other disruptive innovation influencing economic growth. How do you think we can further leverage on this digital initiatives for financial inclusion? Very true. The mobile financial services are thriving for most regions and new business models are emerging. Very true, very true. What you 
thought was never possible has now become a reality so thanks to the technological innovations and the changing business models and the and the penetration of mobile usage and internet connectivity it looks like we are living in a global village yeah very connected world so how does these innovation touch the lives of people who are say for example the target market for financial inclusion i'm i'm saying for both unbanked as well as underbanked yeah so when these products are so launched or they are very sophisticated it relies on the provision of telecommunication and internet connectivity and the usage of uh, uh, you know mobile phones so some of the things that comes to my mind are a you know can there be a vernacular usage vernacular variation of some of these tools that can help address the population who don't live in bigger cities you know so that they become very familiar with us and second can there be a very conscious effort to build the education needs in relation to financial services there are many good government schemes that are running so i am aware of the kisan credit card and crop insurance and so many things that i have seen personally in india so i'm sure many countries have their own variants of these things but how do you make it real for the person who has never seen a bank doesn't know what a bank really does and and do not know whether the banks have solutions for his problems right it is only the education so education need to be the key the especially the financial literacy part of it yeah and the the last thing is to build a confidence in their minds that you know their money is safe their money is theirs they can use it any time and they they you know which is all about those regulations and consumer protection and building the trust for using those those uh, digital ways of transactions using a card or using a mobile or using a uh, electronic transfer and all those and and sometimes even a slight modification in the technology that is being developed for mosses if it can be fine tune to address the need for people who are new into the system say for example not many people who don't have a bank account is also likely to own a smartphone for that matter yeah maybe they they are using some feature phone so can some of these solutions be tailor made for adoption uh, to, to tailor made in the sense to bring in technologies that can work in a non smartphone kind of an environment or there can there be kiosks or a common service center so efforts are taking place but uh, you know when the businesses take this market very real and uh, when when they would like to you know ensure reach of their products to the length and breadth of the countries and and their target markets i am sure some of these things will will be made available
According to the World Bank, great strides have been made toward financial inclusion and 1.2 billion adults globally have gotten access to an account since 2011, which is equivalent to 69%. However, close to one-third of adults, indicatively at 1.7 billion, are still unbanked. What do you think are the efforts that we still need to undertake to bridge the gaps? While there is a larger commitment across governments and organizations and there is a lot of data that's being pushed and there is a lot of innovation that's being taking place and there is a lot of uh, uh, you know private public kind of partnerships that are being formed to address this particular uh, problem across the countries and it is showing results it is progressing if you look at the, the most of the data that you get to see are at least five year old or ten year old. So I guess the world has moved on from then. Yeah. So I'm I'm sure in order to accelerate, in my opinion, there are a couple of things that are needed. So one important thing that comes to uh, a, a barrier for financial inclusion in most cases is an identity document, which is needed by banks in order to establish the KYC process has been done properly as per the regulatory requirements that exist in that particular country. So rolling out of an identity card, identity form, whether it's electronic or whatever way that is, that will address the, the fundamental reason of why some people cannot or are not able to really have access to formal financial system. So identity is one of the priority areas that I think even now while many countries have successfully rolled it out and maybe the countries where it doesn't exist still, there is still an opportunity to roll it out and make them eligible, make them you know, ready to be part of the formal system. And second important thing that comes to my mind is, uh, you know, investing on the financial literacy. So it, it, it is becoming like a basic need. Like your food and shelter, I think financial education is also emerging as one of the fundamental needs. To what extent can we as countries, as organizations, can we invest our energy into providing a basic education about financial services or what you want to call as uh, financial literacy. So both these efforts combined could accelerate the journey. That's my personal opinion. Given your wealth of experience on several financial initiatives, any word of advice that you can give with regards to financial inclusion and its economic influence to the pandemic situation? That's another uh, great question, um, Edgar. So, in, in, in my view, the moment you start talking about financial inclusion, there is a tendency to think that it is about the government it is about the policies, it is about the regulations, it's about, uh, you know, 
those uh, global organ developmental organizations while they have picked up this thread so well and have done a lot of things over the last many years yeah and individual governments have done a lot in some of these countries i think there is a fact in front of you you know can we today stand up and say in 2021 has the inclusion targets been completely met do we think that across the globe we can have a penetration of uh, financial services say 80 plus percent or a 90 plus percent i think we are far away from it yeah so in in my own mind i think there is a greater opportunity that is lying in front of the world of business and the world of non profit organizations the large non profit organizations to come forward and join hands with the policy makers and the governments as a partnership to start really picking up some of these key enablers to get things rolling to accelerate this particular journey when i talk of the financial partnership between regulators and the private sector you you have seen the level 1 project which picked up technology as a theme and are focusing on building platforms that enable people to come on to the platform so that they can be included so that's a great initiative so in my mind what if some of these large corporates across the globe you know as part of their corporate social responsibility and some of these large non-profit organizations partner with the people in the respective countries people who are adopters of these technologies and these platforms and and have some kind of uh, awareness about the various possibilities that exist within the financial services world in terms of products and services and try to you know corporate bomb this particular sector at a local level will the progress be much faster i don't know i think it is a great opportunity so when the when 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 people are made aware of the need for an identity document when people are made aware of the benefits of having an access to a formal financial services and when people kind of develop a confidence about using these new technologies new services from the formal world of financial services i think the adoption rate would probably be much more in in a shortest possible time so what i'm really suggesting is is that a massive partnership use the people use the people who have that basic knowledge of financial literacy ask them to be your partners and ambassadors to adopt a certain section which is geographically 
closer to them in the most convenient way train the trainer kind of a model where you can reach and take it as an objective and educate certain set of people introduce them to the world of finance and then you know it can be done yeah but it is a massive massive scale kind of a project and look at it what has really happened in terms of the pandemic over the last 4 16 months we have been seeing the jobs have been lost the businesses volume business volumes have come down people have some of them most of them have lost their livelihoods people have slipped from middle class to lower class so there are plenty of uh, numbers that are floating around in terms of the population who are there so you know if somebody is available today then you know can they be used to spread these kind of messages which will become a win win situation for them and their recipient so all that it requires is a sponsor yeah and look at it in times of this pandemic situation if somebody who do not really know how to have a bank account or how to have uh, an access to the various uh, tools that are available they would be even more hardly hit than people who have access so it does make sense to bridge the gap are there any initiatives that you're working on canan that you would like to share with our podcast listening audience and what are the ideal way of reaching out or contacting you at white bridge we are a small boutique consulting firm engaged in advising financial service organizations in management of their risk in implementation of their strategies and also assisting them to really get an assurance of whether things are working well as they are designed to be in their part of the organization and uh, yeah my email id is kannans@whitebridge.co.in and you can find me on linkedin would be happy to get connected thanks so much canon for your valuable insights on financial inclusion and we wish you all the best and great success in the future possible by White Bridge Consulting LLP We would like to express our sincere appreciation to Mr. Kanan Swaminathan on sharing us his remarkable thoughts on financial inclusion We would like to hear from you Share us your thoughts regarding our topics 
and send us a message on the Anchor Voice message box. Your message could end up in our future podcast episode. Make sure you never miss any episodes of Pen Circle by clicking the subscribe button or follow us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, Audible, Amazon Podcasts, and Anchor.fm. You can also reach us on our website at pincircle.wordpress.com and our Facebook page at Pincircle Podcast. This concludes our podcast episode today. Thank you for listening on Pin Circle. This is Ed Angelus. Let's catch up again soon. Thank you.